When I'm having a good hair day, that's when I'm my best self. I feel good. I look great. And I will say, painting sulfate-free rose water collection is a part of that. The Rose Water Collection. It feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rose water because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. Hey guys, it's Bobby Bones. I host The Bobby Bones Show. And I'm pretty much always sleepy because I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. A couple hours later, I get all my friends together, and we get into a room, and we do a radio show. We share our lives, we tell our stories, we try to find as much good in the world as we possibly can, and we look through the news of the day that you'll care about. Also, your favorite country artists are always stopping by to hang out and share their lives and music, too. So wake up with a bunch of my friends on 98.7 WMZQ in Washington, D.C., or wherever the road takes you on the iHeartRadio app. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there and welcome to the podcast. This is Kristen. And this is Molly. So Molly, there has been a lot in the news recently over this whole issue of healthcare reform, essentially whether or not we are going to end up with some kind of publicly funded healthcare in the United States. And in the past week or so, the debate over this has really focused on the issue of abortion because the House Energy and Commerce Committee passed an amendment recently that uh, requires whatever healthcare reform bill ends up being passed to offer at least one plan that will cover abortion mm-hmm. and then one plan that does not. Okay. So abortion opponents are up in arms about this idea of what they're calling, quote unquote, taxpayer funded abortion and, and whether or not, you know, in a couple years down the road when we actually have public health care, whether or not our tax dollars are going to go to abortions. And if that means that all these women are just going to start going out and having abortions willy nilly and it's going to be the moral downfall of the U.S. It's been, it's been a pretty, pretty heated debate. Man, that, that synopsis makes me glad I've been on vacation for most of this debate. Yeah, there's been, there's been a lot of, a lot of stuff. And, and one thing I've, I found interesting in this, and this was, uh, from, uh, Kathleen Sebelius, who's the U.S. Secretary of Health and Human Services. Um, she pointed out that right now, the federal employee health benefits, which are, you know, what federal employees get, mm-hmm. such as Congress, men and women, uh, the, the health coverage they get covers abortion services only in cases of rape, incest, and endangerment to the mother's life. And a lot of times, private health care plans, uh, private insurance plans, I should say, do not fully cover abortion services as well. Mm-hmm. And since there's not a lot of private coverage for um, abortion services, that leaves places like Planned Parenthood, and other public clinics as the main option for for women who who need reproductive health care. And this is where I can chime in and help you, Kristen, because I recently wrote an article about how Planned Parenthood works. Yeah, they um, Planned Parenthood has come up a lot in this discussion about this taxpayer funded abortion because, you know, people are saying that Planned Parenthood's going to get all this money from, you know, all these taxpayer dollars. Um, but from the, re- from your article, I learned that, um, the government already funds a lot of Planned Parenthood. So I thought it would be a good time to really talk about 
what Planned Parenthood does and whether or not it is just, you know, kind of your neighborhood abortion clinic or if there are, you know, other services that they provide. So let's dive in. Let's get to it. So, you know, I don't know what kind of preconceptions people bring to this podcast when they listen to it. Mm-hmm. I bet there are some people out there who think that Planned Parenthood is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Yep. And I bet there are people out there who think it's a baby killing machine. Yes. For lack of a better term. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, is that one in four American women has used Planned Parenthood services at some point in her life. Mm -hmm. It's pretty staggering. Right. But that does not mean that one in four American women has used Planned Parenthood services to get an abortion. Oh, of course not. So let's talk about all the services that they provide at their approximately 860 health centers across the country. Start off with Molly. About 38% of Planned Parenthood's services focus solely on contraception and that's handing out condoms or birth control pills or even more permanent options like tubal ligation and vasectomy. And if you need a morning after pill or emergency contraception, it's available there as well. Yes. Um, but it's not just contraception. If you, you know, have a slip up with the condom and end up with a sexually transmitted disease or infection, you can get testing and treating at Planned Parenthood. In 2006, that made up about 30% of their services. Mm-hmm. And then in, in addition to that, you have cancer screenings and preventions, uh, and including pap smears, breast exams, colonoscopies, et cetera. And, and that in 2006 made up about 20%. So we still haven't even gotten to abortion, and we're at, what, 40, 30, 20? Oh, it's it's about 90%. It's fun to watch Kristen do math on the fly. (laughs) Um, So 10% of the services are just sort of general health things related to pregnancy. We're talking about pregnancy tests, prenatal care, infertility treatment, and it's only when we get down to the single digits, 3%, that we come to abortion procedures. 3% of Planned Parenthood services in 2006 for abortion procedures. May not sound like a lot, but that does make up in the United States about 289, 750 abortions in 2006. And that makes Planned Parenthood the largest provider of abortions in the U.S., which is, you know, makes sense that they would be uh, the number one target for abortion critics. Yeah. And, you know, part of the problem I think that a lot of people have is that when we keep breaking down these numbers, referrals to adoption agencies made up less than one percent of Planned Parenthood services. So I think a lot of critics think that a woman comes in and says that she wants an abortion and Planned Parenthood's like, OK, you made your choice. We're going to help that help that happen. Whereas, you know, other organizations might like to see more adoption referrals, more counseling before an abortion, mm-hmm. maybe a 3D sonogram. Right. And uh, and kind of along those lines of, of uh, things that abortion critics are kind of pushing for, like the 3D sonograms and mandatory rating period, Planned Parenthood also acts as an advocate and lobbyists for these reproductive issues, um, such as defending a woman's right to an abortion without what they call unnecessary obstacles, such as the uh, mandatory waiting period. Um, they also oppose pharmacy refusal of contraceptives. Um, that's been a big issue. I remember the past couple of years of whether or not um, pharmacists can refuse women the morning after pill, for instance. Um, and they also support comprehensive sex ed in schools and that all patients have a right to privacy, particularly from the government, that they shouldn't be able to meddle in our medical affairs. Right. And I do want to remind our male listeners out there that while advertisements for Planned Parenthood, in my experience, usually feature, you know, a young woman, Mm -hmm. there are tons of things available to males there. They do a lot of health screening for men, um, everything from a colon cancer screening to a jock itch exam. 
So reproductive health affects everyone, not just women. I think that's important to say. Yes, it is important to say, Molly, because as my mom always said, takes two to tango. Ho, ho, ho. Yes. And if you can't find your local Planned Parenthood, they have tons of information online. Uh, they've got teenwire.com, which is geared specifically toward teenagers. All their information about um, sexual education, reproductive health, that's all online. And uh, again, we are only focusing sort of on the U.S.-centric, but for our international listeners, Planned Parenthood International has a ton of information as well. Yes. So all these great things for, you know, women and men's reproductive health. Um but at the same time, Planned Parenthood is not without its more controversial aspects, right? True. Because abortion, sex health is always going to be controversial. Let's yeah. go back to the beginning of the 1900s when Planned Parenthood was getting its start. Yes. Uh, Margaret Sanger is the founder of Planned Parenthood. And uh, basically, Margaret Sanger's story was her mom gave birth to 18 children, I think 11 of whom actually lived and uh, she's from a very poor family. Um, her mother had all of these children. She couldn't afford to support all of them. And I think her mother ended up dying young, I think around the age of 40. And she, in, in her, in these poor neighborhoods, Sanger noticed um, other women seeking back alley abortions and women who were like her mother having uh, children that they couldn't afford. And so she champion the cause of contraceptives to prevent unintended pregnancies. Right. Sayer didn't jump to abortion as a solution for this. First, she just wanted to distribute information about contraceptives, but she was up against something called the Comstock Clause, which made it illegal to send obscene materials through the mail, and included in this obscenity clause were things on uh, contraceptives or preventing conception. Mm-hmm. Um, so then she f- opened the first birth control clinic in Brooklyn in 1916. And I think that might have been even after she had been arrested b- based on those Comstock laws for distributing um, sex ed information. And that clinic um, and her American Birth Control League would eventually become Planned Parenthood. And she did all sorts of things over the years to, um, you know, she's sometimes called the birth control martyr because she sort of went out there and stood on the line for women who needed birth control. And Planned Parenthood helped finance testing of the birth control pill. Um, as soon as it was approved, Planned Parenthood's out there trying to get women to take the pill. And, you know, at the time, you know, as time goes on, it's not that Planned Parenthood was out of sync with the national agenda. Interesting to me when I was researching this, since I wasn't alive back then, but President Lyndon Johnson identified a lack of family planning as one of the four most pressing health issues facing the country at the time. Yeah. And then following up, uh, Richard Nixon established the Title X of Public Health Services Act, which made contraceptives available even to those people who couldn't afford to pay for it. So mm-hmm. we're, we're getting closer to this idea of the, the free public health clinic. Right. And, you know, if you're if you're familiar with when Nixon and Johnson line up in American history, you know that we're starting to get into the late 60s, early 70s, when people became a lot more liberal. And so the, the thinking went, you know, if we can all have birth control to prevent pregnancy, then reproductive health obviously extends to abortion so that you can end a pregnancy. Yeah. And then things get a lot more politicized in 1973 with the very famous court case, Roe v. Wade. And Planned Parenthood up until then had been opposed to, of course, unsafe abortion. And and they championed for Roe v. Wade so that women would have the option for legal 
safe abortions as opposed to those, the back alley abortions that, that Sanger, you know, witnessed growing up. Right. And so around that time when it does become heavily politicized, the U.S. Republican and Democratic Party make abortion and anti-abortion rights part of their platform. Obviously, Republicans holding up an anti-abortion plank and the Democratic Party going for abortion rights. Yeah. And so the government funding has kind of shifted back and forth, you know, the give and take, depending on whether there's been more Republican control or more Democratic control. And that's not to say that there's no such thing as um you know, pro-choice Republicans or anti-choice Democrats, um, but it's still one of the main party platforms. Yeah, when we had Reagan in office, he restricted Title X uh, that, that Nixon had put in place, and he also created the Global Gag Rule, which pulled any U.S. family planning funds from international organizations that provided information on abortion, even if they weren't using that money specifically to, to provide that information. If it was just, you know... Uh, office costs. If mm-hmm. they talked about abortion, that money was pulled. So that it essentially defunded the International Planned Parenthood Federation. Um, but then, you know, basically when a Democrat comes into office, they reverse it. When a Republican comes back, they reinforce it. It's just going to keep it seems like, you know, flipping back and forth depending on who's in office. Right. And outside of the the political realm, uh, Planned Parenthood obviously has a ton of grassroots support. Uh, it's pretty common to see whenever there's some kind of controversial reproductive health bills up for uh, up for a vote, you'll see plenty of uh, protests and marches, um, you know, both for and against um, Planned Parenthood. So we've discussed a little bit why a woman might want to protest for the issues Planned Parenthood supports. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, Chris and I support reproductive health. Yeah, and safe, safe reproductive health for women. Taking responsibility of your body. Yeah. But what about the other side? Let's look at the criticism leveled at Planned Parenthood. Right, because you, you think that, um, you know, when you think of people who are opposed to Planned Parenthood, it immediately, your mind goes to just anti-abortion mm-hmm. advocates. I mean, I think something Planned Parenthood does well is if they're going to embrace a platform, let's say that the government has no hold over a woman's body. Okay. Do they embrace it a little too wholeheartedly and ignore just sort of how people feel about things? You know, do they ignore things that women might be in favor of, like, you know, 24-hour waiting periods before an abortion? Mm-hmm. Do they do they take their stances too far? Yeah, that's what um, a lot of the, the Planned Parenthood critics would say, that a Planned Parenthood is simply... Too jumpy, they give too much access too quick for a woman to uh, just make a split decision about um, a, a pregnancy. Right, and you you can't ignore the fact that their business model does depend on people having sex, needing birth control, and or an abortion. Yeah, and uh, and along those same lines, um, other critics would argue that Planned Parenthood therefore encourages teens to have sex without understanding the consequences. You know, they have all of this sex ed information, like very frank discussion about, you know, what to do and, you know, makes sex sound like a very natural thing for teens to do. And that makes a lot of, um, make, might make a lot of parents uncomfortable. Right. With the idea of Planned Parenthood that they, that their child could go out, have sex without them knowing, and then go to Planned Parenthood and get birth control or an abortion if necessary. Right. I think it essentially comes down to whether you believe people are going to have sex out of wedlock or not. Yeah. Um, But like, let's take, I I think that also the problem is that Planned Parenthood is in favor of choice as long as your choice agrees with them. Yeah. Like, you know, there's this thing called the right of conscience. You know, you were talking earlier about the pharmacist who might refuse to fill a prescription for birth control because they're morally opposed to it. 
there are doctors who might refuse to perform an abortion because their religious beliefs don't sync up with that. And Planned Parenthood argues that, you know, these doctors don't have the right to exercise a right of conscience, whereas women have this right to choose immediately. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's sort of, you know, it's, it's a it's a double edged sword. It is a double edged sword, I'd say. And um, and then you do have um, instances uh, that do not reflect well on Planned Parenthood. For instance, um, in Indiana in 2008, a university student posed as a 13-year-old girl who called up Planned Parenthood um, pretending that she was she was worried about a possible pregnancy with a 31-year-old boyfriend. And a videotape of the encounter um, uh, showed the Planned Parenthood worker telling telling the you know supposed 13-year-old girl to stop telling her the ages of those involved so that she wouldn't have to report the couple to Child Protective Services for statutory rape. And so that, you know, Planned Parenthood spy turned around and said, look at what they're doing. They're, they're standing by statutory rape and trying to cover it up. And then another really disturbing thing that came out, um, the same year, 2008 in Idaho, there was this anti-abortion group that was making taped phone calls to Planned Parenthood offices. Um, and they would ask if their donations to the organization, because private donations do make up a large part of Planned Parenthood's funding. They would ask if their donations could be earmarked for black women's abortions. And this is a quote here, uh, not in my own words. The caller said, the less black kids out there, the better. And according to the recording and according to the paper who reported it, um, Planned Parenthood's response was nervous laughter followed by the quote, understandable, understandable. And when you bring up race in association with Planned Parenthood, you're getting into a really sticky subject for the organization. And it goes back to the founder, Margaret Sanger. Yes, this is one of this issue of um, possible or allegations, I should say, of racism and uh, more specifically eugenics has long been an issue for Planned Parenthood. It's one of the number one things that people um, point out when they are criticizing the organization, because um, when Margaret Singer was campaigning for the use of birth control in the er- early 1900s, she made many statements about how um, crowded populations would be better off without, quote, like unwanted or unfit babies. And then, you know, by extension, that meant, you know, a lot of these babies who are being born and specifically low income families. So, that made it seem like uh, Singer was advocating kind of you know, getting rid of the, the the lower masses who who really aren't contributing. Yeah, the people she deemed unfit. And she did hang out. She went to Europe and she did hang out with a lot of well-known eugenicists, including some some Nazis mm-hmm. who obviously are famed for wanting to, to wipe out the people they deemed unfit. So it's definitely something that's followed Planned Parenthood around. You know, critics say that Planned Parenthood has never come out specifically and said, you know, we don't support Margaret Sanger's beliefs on that. Mm-hmm. In fact, they give out awards with Sanger's name. The presidents of Planned Parenthood usually say something like, you know, I'm proud to be following in Margaret Sanger's footsteps, which leads critics to say, you know, this is a completely racist organization. They're just trying to give abortions to people that they don't want running around. You know, it's it's sort of a, a weird situation the organization's in. But Molly, I have a feeling when... These women or men say that they are proud to follow, follow in Margaret Singer's footsteps. They certainly aren't referring to any sort of fringe ideas about eugenics, but more this idea of providing safe choices for women's reproductive health and men's. Yeah, and I think that's the bigger thing to take away from Planned Parenthood, in my opinion. You know, we can focus on all these criticisms that are lobbied at it, and I think it's important to know 
that they're out there. But at the end of the day, it's a great option for women, especially, you know, if you just get out of college and you don't have that student health insurance anymore and Mm -hmm. you may not have that first job with health insurance yet. Planned Parenthood is a great place to go because you can pay on sliding scales. Some services are free. Um, so it's a really great place. It might be your primary healthcare giver for those first few years out of college. Right. Because if you look back at those statistics that we started out with earlier, um, Planned Parenthood does a bulk of their work has nothing to do with abortions at all. Mm -hmm. It's going in and getting your annual pap smear and breast exam or guys, if you need that jock itch test, (laughs) there is a place to go where you don't have to rely on private health insurance plans to, uh, to pay for it. Right. So it'll definitely be interesting to see how the health insurance debate shakes out by the time this podcast publishes, who knows where that debate will be. Yeah. But I think that we can count on Planned Parenthood standing at the forefront yes. of these issues for women and making sure that women have access to health care. And I think that that's important. That's important for, I think, anyone who listens to Stuff Mom Never Told You. Absolutely. Speaking of people who listen to Stuff Mom Never Told You. How about listener mail? <laughs> listener mail. And today's listener mail comes from Yuki who listened to the podcast about whether sharks can smell blood. Yuki is an avid diver, and so she was especially excited to hear about the diving on the show because she hopes that more women start diving as a result. She thinks it's a little lonely being the only girl on a dive boat sometimes. Um, And hopefully Yuki won't find this too private for me to share, but there have been times when her period comes smack in the middle of a dive trip, and after some research on online scuba forums, she found something called the menstrual cup. It's not easily found in the U.S., but they are soft silicone cups that you insert. They can be reused for a number of years. And she thinks they're more environmentally responsible than tampons. So since she tried it for the first time on a dive trip, she's a huge fan. And she's never been attacked by a shark. Thanks, Yuki. And I think since we are talking about the uh, Can Sharks Smell Blood episode, I would like to point out that we have gotten a couple of emails from you guys about Molly and me using the word gross Mm -hmm. to describe menstrual blood. And uh, I think I responded to those emails saying, you know what? You are absolutely right. Because these women were pointing out the fact that we should not describe the natural functions of our body as gross. It is what happens. And we should be proud of it and discuss it openly and honestly. So, ladies, periods are not gross. I was wrong. And if I sent a gross out, it might have been because I'm grossed out by sharks attacking me. Yeah. Just blood. It was pretty much just a traumatic podcast altogether. (laughs) Molly's only just now recovering from (laughs) from that podcast. And Shark Week altogether. Yes. So if you have any questions or comments or just random musings that you would like to send to me and Molly, please feel free to email us. We love email uh, at momstuff at howstuffworks.com. And if you want to check out what we're doing during the week, we have a blog and it's called How To Stuff. And if you want to read Molly's fantastic article called How Planned Parenthood Works, you can also find that on HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? So here's something that some of you might find shocking. 
95% of women don't feel good about their hair. But Pantene is changing that. Pantene's rose water collection combats bad hair days with an innovative formula that uses rose water derived from the petals and buds of the Rosa Gallica plant. With Pantene's rose water collection, I can really feel how much more hydrated my hair is. And it's sulfate, paraben, dye, and mineral oil-free, which makes me feel good because who needs all those additives? Experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. This episode is brought to you by NBC's Good Girls. The new season of NBC's Good Girls is generating serious buzz. Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman are hilarious as America's favorite moms turned criminals. This show is the perfect blend of comedy, action, and romance. No wonder critics call Good Girls your next TV addiction. And Rotten Tomatoes rates it 100% fresh. Ooh, Good Girls, Sundays on NBC. The new season has already had some wild twists, so watch live. And stream anytime. 